preacher story. And I feel like we need that uh, voiceover narration, right, that says, the following is a preacher story. No actual moms were harried and hurried during the narration of this event. So a harried and hurried mom is making her way methodically through the grocery store. Uh, She has little time to get the shopping done and get home, and you moms out there, you know what I'm talking about. And she has her young child with her who's sitting in the basket, and with every breath that the child takes, the child says, Mom, can I have a bag of cookies? And and so the entire uh, shopping experience is accented with this conversation. Mom, can I have a bag of cookies? And the mother responding, No, honey, it will spoil your dinner. Mom, can I have a bag of cookies? No, honey, it will spoil your dinner. And this is pretty much the shopping trip. And finally reaching the checkout counter, the exhausted mother begins to unload the groceries whilst the cashier rings them up. The child stands up in the grocery cart and cries out for all shoppers to hear, in the name of Jesus, I want some cookies. And shoppers at every checkout line purchased a bag of cookies and gave them to the child. When the child goes home, the child has 20 bags of cookies. Now, some would use this preacher's story as a nifty example of how prayer works. They would tell us that all you have to do is persist. All you have to do is use the right words at the right time. And finally, you're going to get what you want. Yet our text, the Lord's Prayer that we've been working through, that we've been learning from, it's teaching us a far different truth, isn't it? You see, when it comes to prayer, no, you can't always get what you want. But you find sometimes that you get what you need. And this is what we're learning. This is the kind of prayer that Jesus is inviting us into. More concerned with our relationship with our Heavenly Father than we are with getting things from Him. So we are in a series in Matthew 6, and and we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer one line at a time. and, And today we've reached this line in the Bible, in this prayer, verse 11, where Jesus teaches us to pray, Give us this day. Our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you've been following and noticing, this is the first time in the prayer. This is the first place where space is given for personal requests, for personal petitions. You see, Jesus is trying to show us through the order of this prayer. That only once you have praised and adored God, only once you have submitted your will to His will, is your heart ready in any shape or form to bring personal things to Him. And so we've reached this line in the prayer, and I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to just take a look at what this phrase means, give us this day our daily bread. Now, scholars are in general agreement that this phrase, daily bread, this expression, daily bread, it's representative of provision, okay, provision. 
So in other words, these are the things that we need in order to sustain life. So the phrase, give us our daily bread, is just another way to say, give us our daily provision. Give us the things that we need to survive, to make it through. And then most scholars, they they make a difference when it comes to this passage, to this request, to this petition. They make a difference between what we need and what we want. That those are two different things. In fact, D.A. Carson says that what this petition here is, it's a petition for our needs, not our greed. Our needs, not our greed. Now, uh, Timothy Keller has a book on prayer. I highly recommend it. It's it's pretty thick, but it's very accessible. It's, It's easy to follow. It's easy to read. It's got some good stuff in there. One of the things that he does is he goes back and he looks at uh, some different thinkers like, um, like Augustine and Luther and Calvin and others, and he, he condenses or summarizes their thoughts on the Lord's Prayer. And so when it comes to this particular line, Augustine has said, is said to have said that what Jesus is talking about here with this Our Daily Bread is that he's talking about our necessities. He's not talking about our luxuries, our necessities not our luxury. So our daily bread is concerning itself, is concerned with the day-to-day aspect of our lives. That this is what God is concerned about, the day-to-day aspect. Now there are some who attempt to downplay the physical aspect of this text. In fact, some people look at this text and they say, no, no, this is not about the day-to-day. This is not about the physical because physical is bad and, and spiritual is good. And so what they say, no, this is talking about communion. That what we're being taught to pray here is that because God doesn't concern himself with these physical material things, that we need to be only ultimately concerned with our spiritual relationship, that we only need to focus on our communion with him. But the struggle I have with that is that it suggests or implies or just flat out states that God has no concern whatsoever with your day-to-day life. Can that be true? I mean, can that really, at the end of the day, be the kind of God that he is? The kind of God who is so distant and so absent that he ha- he could care less about what's going on in your day-to-day life. So, listen. Um, in all things theology or doctrine, when you're immersing yourself in the murky waters of theology and doctrine, you have to pass everything through what the Bible reveals to us about God. What kind of God is he? What kind of God is the God who would ask us to pray this way? And so we have to filter all things through the revealed character traits and attributes of God as we have in the Bible. So this line in the Lord's Prayer, I, I think it's trying to wrap, uh, it's trying to invite us into a, into a great truth. So I want to see if, if just for a second you can wrap your mind around this great truth. The Lord God, the God who created the earth, the God whom all creation 
in some way or another, gives praise to him. He cares about your day-to-day life. I'm going to say it again. God cares about your day-to-day life. See, this is the same God who provided manna, daily bread, in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the same God who provided on a daily basis meat and water for his people. This is the same God who for 40 years, day after day, God made sure that those who were marching through the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, that two things didn't happen. One, that their clothes didn't wear out and that their feet didn't swell. Those of you who have hiked long distances, you understand how valuable that second thing can be. This is the same God who for 40 years provided them daily with everything that they needed and made sure that their clothes didn't wear out and their feet did not swell. So one of the most consistent points that Jesus makes in the Bible about God is the kind of heavenly father that he is. And Jesus does this in a myriad of ways. He does it through comparison. He does it through contrast. But he also does it with direct reference. And he says over and over and over again, let me tell you the one thing you need to know above all things about your heavenly father. He cares about you. He cares about you. And this is crazy because this is a father who will always act in our best interest, who always has our ultimate good as his goal. He's a father who will never give you anything that will harm you. And so Jesus does something really, really uh, interesting to show that God is concerned with the personal details of your life, the day-to-day aspect of your life. Jesus says, If you want to know how much God cares about you, all you have to do is take a look at the birds. That's all you have to do. In fact, it's it's really interesting. The Bible says that God has this great fondness for the birds, Mr. Tambourine Man. Turn, turn. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a different spelling. So I, I made a mistake there. Jesus says, you want to know what kind of God, you want to know what kind of father he is? All you have to do is stop and pay attention to birds in this world. You want to know if God really cares about you and the details of your day-to-day life? You want to know if God is really concerned about your needs? Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. His eye is on them. He watches them. In fact, Jesus at one point said, God even knows when a sparrow dies. He knows. He notices. And Jesus uses these examples to say, you know, some people, they don't pay much attention to birds. Jesus says some people think that birds are not of any value at all. In fact, at that time, you could buy a couple of sparrows for a penny. But God knows even when one dies. And Jesus uses this as an example to say, so how much more? How much more are you valuable to God that he cares about you and that he pays attention to what's going on? So, listen, 
I don't think it's consistent with the character of God, with what the Bible reveals to us, that this line in the Lord's Prayer has only to do with spiritual and has nothing to do with physical. I think this line in the Lord's Prayer is inviting us to come with humility, with surrender, with praise and adoration, and to talk to God about your day-to-day life. We bring our petitions to a Father who cares about us. Now, I want to show you a second thing. Uh, I want to show you something about the structure of this prayer and what's curious about this one particular line and how it fits in the prayer. Okay, That's what I want to show you now. So uh, if you're looking at your Bibles, and, and this really depends on the translation that you're using. Okay, it depends on the translation. But most English translations and, and, and even a couple of Greek translations uh, do this as well. There's a really interesting thing that happens in this line that I think is communicating volumes to us about this particular line. Now, most Bible translations apply formatting to the Lord's Prayer here. Okay, there's formatting. So, so if, if you notice, and uh, now we're back in kindergarten, you lazy brown. So if, if you can see in my Bible, you see how the columns are just going? And I tried to get a print big enough for you to read it. It's not that I need it. It's just so that you can see it better. Right? So you notice that it just goes along in paragraph, paragraph form. And then you notice that, if, if you can see that, it's different. And some of your Bibles will do this. The formatting is different. And so right away you go, well, huh, why is the formatting there different? And, and there's a reason for that. The reason is that the Lord's Prayer is set in what is known as parallelism. Parallelism. And parallelism is a literary uh, function. It's a thing where, where one line is given and then a supporting line is given immediately after it. Okay? So, and that supporting line is an echo, really. It's an echo that corresponds or coincides in form or function to what's being said in the first line. So, for example, most of the Psalms are set in this way. If you're looking in your Bibles, most of your Psalms and and Proverbs are, are set in this way. So, for example, Psalm 19, which was our scripture read for us today, the first line of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God is the first line, and the supporting echo is, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's parallelism. Two ways to say the same thing. Now, there's a really interesting proverb in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, and go ahead and put that on screen. The problem with our Bible software is that it doesn't do what I'm telling you that most Bibles do. <laughs> For the sake of the digital word, it just all compresses it. But Proverbs 30, if you look at it in your Bible, it's going to be set in this same structure. Now, the other interesting thing about this is that if you pay attention to Psalm 30, 7 through 9, it's actually a form of the Lord's Prayer. Not only that, if you were really listening to Psalm 19 as it was being read today, it's a form of the Lord's Prayer. This is why Jesus is not teaching us you have to say these words. He's teaching us to pray like this. Pray like this. And and the more you immerse yourself in the Lord's Prayer, the more you're going to start noticing it in other places. And so in Proverbs 30, starting in verse 7, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. See, that's parallelism. 
Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And here comes the supporting echo. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Okay, so, all right, that's the literary lesson for today. Parallelism. The Bible does a lot of this in its wisdom literature. The Beatitudes are set in this same way. Blessed are, or blessed are, I guess. And then following with that supporting echo. All right, all that to say this. Do you notice what's different about give us this day our daily bread? If you have your Bibles, look at it. There's no corresponding parallelism. You see, it's really intriguing to me that of all the lines in the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, this one line doesn't have any corresponding parallelism. No, no supporting cast. No Golden Globe nomination for best supporting thought is given here. And see, there's no, there's no echo, there's nothing. What's different about this is that in the first half of the prayer, we are invited to adore God, to, uh, to praise God, to, to submit to God. And then when it gets to the first of the personal petitions, it hardly spends any time there. It hardly spends any time there. In fact, if you're noticing, depending on how your Bible is, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as and then the parallelism continues. Now, now, what does this mean? I think it, it's important that we understand that it's not saying, give us this day our daily bread, for we need to eat. It's not saying, give us this day our daily bread, because you care for the birds. It's not saying, give us this day our daily bread, for we do not live by bread alone. We are speaking to God about the day-to-day -day function of our life that he already knows about. He already knows. He already, he's the father who already knows what we need. So I think that there's a fascinating thing here that when we get to this part of the prayer, when we're talking about our personal things in our life, that this line moves so quickly from bread to debts. From dough to dough. That there's a reason for this. Maybe what Jesus is trying to teach us is, yes, your father cares. Yes, he is involved in your day-to-day -day life. But don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. Don't think that your relationship with God should end and remain here at this point. And so there's a reason that we'll even look at more detail next week, that the line moves from provision to forgiveness. That it moves immediately from there. So Jesus is teaching us something very important in the brevity of this line. We need food to live, yes, but life is more than food. If prayer is a garden of flowers, this line is a butterfly moving from one flower to another, not that annoying chipmunk that chewed a hole in your house and has taken up permanent residence. Jesus is saying, don't get stuck here. So, so you look at how long it takes to get to this line in the prayer, 
after we've praised and adored, after we've submitted and surrendered, we get to this one line that God does care about, but then the prayer moves on. It moves on. And it says there's something more important that you need to focus on in your life rather than your daily provision. So I think there's a truth here that because our Father knows what we need, we should not let our gaze be consumed on our day-to-day lives. That we should instead let our gaze, yes, be focused on our Father who knows exactly what we need. That we who deserve nothing, nevertheless, in Christ Jesus, we are given everything. One more thing. So what does this prayer mean to us? What is this line trying to tell us? You see, first of all, in, in prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we praise and adore God. See, what we're doing is saying, Lord, only you can satisfy my soul. Only you can satisfy my soul. Only you can fill me. And then we move to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That is, We're saying, Lord, we're going to pledge our, our, our love to you, our loyal to you, because, because you and who you are, not only are you our only fulfillment, you're our own security. And finally, we submit and we surrender to you, saying we can only have happiness with you. You're the only provider of true meaning. And then when we get to this part, We're bringing our day-to-day lives under the submission of God's control. We're saying, God, I'm I'm giving you the big stuff, yes, but I'm giving you the day-to-day, yes. I'm surrendering the day-to-day part of my life to you. And so through prayer, we're bringing not just the personal details of, of, of our life, but we're enveloping those within this greater context of praise. So the first thing this means to us is that there is a personal aspect about our life with God. But there's also an outward aspect of this prayer. You know, for most of us, I would hazard a guess that we don't really worry about whether or not we're going to eat today. Most of us probably don't even, it's not even a thought, right? Uh, For most of us, I would dukes of a guess that our worry is more about what we're specifically going to eat today. See, we're not worried about, am I going to eat? Most of us are consumed with, well, which place do you think we could get into after church? Because all the good places are filling up because this guy won't shut up. So most of us are more concerned with exactly what am I going to eat today, not if I'm going to eat. But listen, Jesus is trying to teach us something, yes, about our personal relationship with him, but I think he's also trying to teach us something about our relationship with others who are not as fortunate as we are, who do not know from day to day not what they will be eating, but if they will be eating. So listen, it's such a small thing, but in my life as I pause to thank God for meals, I I try to focus first that the food that I eat is a gift from God, that it comes from the generosity of who He is, that it's a gift to me, but I don't I I even try to be grateful. I I try to acknowledge, I know, I understand, Lord, that I have a choice in what I eat, but I want that to lead me to something else. I want that to lead me to be mindful of people who don't have something to eat, but not just to be mindful of it, but, Lord, put me in a position to do something about it. 
for those who do not have food. So listen, those of you uh, who have a bird feeder in your yard, you know what you're doing? You're joining God in his work of caring for birds, right? And when we help others who do not have anything to eat, what are we doing? We're joining God in his great work of providing for others. You see, when Jesus said these words, it would have been an issue for many in his hearing, in his audience. It would have been an issue, their their day-to-day existence. They would have been concerned about day-to-day things. And I know that there are probably some who, who today, even here maybe, are still living paycheck to paycheck. And when you live paycheck to paycheck, you understand these pinch points better than anyone else. You do. You understand the, the worry and the frustration and the stress that it comes from that, the, the decisions that have to be made. Uh, do I feed them or do I pay the electric bill? May we not get so far ahead in thinking that all this is such a great blessing of God that we all we have to do is thank Him and not worry about other people. Because if we're not concerned about other people, then we've lost the point of the prayer. We've lost the point of the prayer. And, and so what, a, what an interesting thing it is because that's why Proverbs 30 speaks such a great truth. Where don't give me too much and don't give me too little, right? You see, what we know is that poverty can either lead you to God or it can lead you away from God. It's true. Abundance can lead you to God or it can lead you away from God. Those of you who understand addiction and how that addiction works, you understand that addiction can lead you to God or it can lead you away from him. So I love Joe Walsh's song, One Day at a Time. One Day at a Time. Jesus is telling us, don't get so caught up in the future that you forget at the end of the day, your life with God and your life with others is still just one day at a time. And I mentioned to you a Keller's book, and he says something interesting about Martin Luther, because Martin Luther believed that this line in the prayer was speaking about our social responsibility to other people. That we as Christians could not pray, give us this day our daily bread, unless we had a heart and a mind and a will to be concerned about others. Give us this day our daily bread. And so here's a fascinating quote from Luther. For all to get daily bread, there must be a thriving economy, good employment, and a just society. So how are we doing with that? To pray, give us all the people of our land daily bread, is to pray against wanton exploitation in business, in trade, in labor, which crushes the poor and deprives them of their daily bread. You see what Luther's doing? He's saying don't be so consumed about your life and your needs when you pray. Use prayer as a way for God to tune your heart and direct your gaze to someone that you know, or maybe don't know, who needs you to help. Did you know that bread is one of the most frequently words used in the Bible? This was fascinating when I looked at this. In fact, there's over 330 instances of the use of the word bread, and grace is only used 135 times. It's interesting that over and over again this word is used. 
Do you remember when Jesus and his disciples are traveling and they go to the town of Samaria and Jesus stays and the disciples go to Costco to buy some food, right? And so Jesus stays there and he sits down at a well and he begins to have a conversation with the Samaritan woman about the things of God. And the disciples come back and they say, here you go, teacher, we got you the hot dog and soda combo. It's a real loose translation of the Greek, but, you know, it's, it's still there. And Jesus says to them, no thanks, I've already eaten. I've already eaten. And the disciples start talking amongst themselves, which if you ever really notice how much this happens in Scripture, it happens a lot. I mean, it happens a lot. They're like, you know, well, who brought him food? And, you know, did he get Grubhub or what happened? You know, they're, they're so caught up with the fact that he said to them, I've already eaten. He says, I have food that you don't know about. Now, if you've been out together with a group of people camping or, you know, on a shopping mall and trip and, and, and you've been hoarding food the whole time, you know, how does that endear you with the rest of your mates, right? It doesn't, right? And so they're scratching their heads going, what in, what in the world is he talking about? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So this is fascinating because Jesus, who is the bread of life, is giving this woman bread of life, and he's trying to get his disciples to see past life here and see life here. It's two different conversations. And so immediately after this, not long after this, Jesus finds himself in a situation where he has to feed 5,000 people with just a few fish and some loaves of barley. And when it's over, they, they pick up a plethora of baskets full of this. And Jesus gets into a boat and goes on the other side of the lake to get away from the crowd. And you know what happens? When he gets out of the boat on the other side of the lake, the crowds are waiting for him. It's like, it's not a very big lake, I guess. You know, because they're just walking. Okay, he's going there. You know, and they follow him all around. And they're waiting for him on the other side of the lake. And Jesus says to them something really interesting. He says, you're not following me because of the great works you saw me do. You're following me because I gave you bread. Because I fed you. And listen to what he says. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Maybe this, what is this line in the prayer it is inviting us to do. And so when the people in this story, when they press Jesus for a sign, he says, no, you know, no more sign. They talk about, well, you know, Moses and our ancestors, they got bread from heaven. And here's what Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. So when Beth was in high school, she was, her dad had an open air Jeep and they were traveling somewhere and they pulled up to a stoplight and there was a bread truck, right? And open air Jeep and Beth shouts out loud, boy, it sure would be nice to have a nice, fresh loaf of bread right now. And falling from the sky was a loaf of bread right into her lap. Now, two things are occurring here. First, the truck driver heard her. And, and you know, Beth was in high school. She's a California cutie, you know. And uh, so the, you know, that's just how, what truck drivers do, right? No offense, you know, out there. Bread from heaven falling into her lap. 
See, the bread that Jesus is talking about is the kind of bread that will fill your soul. It will satisfy your longing. It will give you meaning and purpose. It will, it will drive out any of those anxiety moments in your life. And, and yet so many of the people were so focused on the physical aspect of it. And Jesus is inviting us not to focus there. He says, I am the bread of life. Mm. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me, they shall never thirst. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, remind us, remind us that we need more than bread to fill our lives. Let's pray. Father, can we come to you? Can we come to you already knowing that you know what we need, and yet you still say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And, and Father, we do that because talking to you is just a way to rid our hearts of anxiety. So right now, Lord, I pray that you be part of that process in our life, that you take away anxiety. And Father, if there's someone, put us in the path of someone that, that is hungry, that needs food, that we can help. Wherever it is that we go today, wherever it is that we are this week, would you, would you help us see the outward dimension of this? But more than anything else, would you, would you make us be hungry for something other than food? Can we be so caught up with your beauty and your glory that the refrain of our life would be, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply this teaching to our hearts. Through Jesus we pray.